what is even better than customer experience? It's how we get to that point. We're going to talk about that today on Start With a Win. Welcome to Start With a Win, where we talk franchising, leadership, and business growth. Let's go. And coming to you from Area 15 Ventures and Start With a Win Studios, it's Adam Contos here with a return guest, a great friend of ours, somebody who's been doing a lot of studies on big business about truly what causes that amazing customer experience through the predecessor to that and the combination of these things that make a huge difference in your business. So leaders, listen up. Today, we have Tiffany Bova, the Global Customer Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Growth IQ. Over the past two decades, she's led large revenue-producing divisions at businesses ranging from startups to the Fortune 500. As a research fellow at Gartner, her cutting-edge insights helped Microsoft, Cisco, Salesforce, HP, IBM, the list goes on of prominent companies that she helped expand market share and grow their revenues. She's been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by the Thinkers 50 twice. And she's also the host of the podcast, What's Next with Tiffany Bova. And she has a new book that just came out. Let's talk about it today. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me back again. I'm thrilled to be here. Last time was uh, during the pandemic. So it's nice to uh, see you on the other side of all that. Yeah, it was funny. You and I were both like locked in our basement <laughs> studios or something like that. The bunkers talking about, you know, the, the, uh, your last book and, and growth IQ, but, um, you just showed the new book on the video. If anybody's watching the experience mindset, changing the way you think about growth, what is the premise of this book and how did you start going down this road? Yeah, I'll be sort of totally honest on this one. Growth IQ was a combination, if you will, of a lot of work I had done or a culmination of a lot of work I had done over the years of me being a practicing leader, like an individual contributor, you know, all the way up to um, senior leadership in a, as you mentioned, a fortune 500. And then I was a analyst and a consultant advising startups all the way to fortune one companies on how to grow their business better for a decade. And I felt like I had a pretty good handle on what was needed in order to grow a business. And I you know, came up with a framework and that was the book growth IQ. And as you mentioned, it became a wall street journal bestseller, like, you know, woohoo, translated in 12 languages, like making its way around the world. I felt like, oh, this is great. And I had no interest in writing a second book. Right before the pandemic, I was standing on stage and I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence. Salesforce is a great place to work um, around the globe, pretty much in the top five, uh, one of the most innovative companies in the world and the fastest growing enterprise software company. So I went to our CMO at the time and I said, could I prove that? Could I prove there was some correlation between engaged and happy um, employees and their willingness to innovate, be more resilient, respond to things like the pandemic, right? Uh, uncertainty, you know, rapids, you know, sprint projects or scum projects, like all the things we rattle off that need to happen within an organization doesn't happen in a PowerPoint. It, that PowerPoint and Excel spreadsheet is not going to save you in front of a customer or at a board meeting. It's the people. And so could I prove this connection between the two? So it put me on a two-year research project, uh, and lo and behold, 
at the end of it, I sort of went, hmm, let me go back to Growth IQ really quick and see how much I actually talked about employee in the book. And lo and behold, I didn't. Of the 60,000 words, I think 150 of them talked about employees. So I missed it. Um, and I think I missed it because I am not an HR people expert. I'm really a growth expert. But this work is put squarely in the center that the fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get custom, uh, employees to love their job, right? So if you want your customers to love your company and your products and services, your employees have to love what they do because they're designing the products and, and all the things that go along with that. So that was sort of a long answer to a very short question. But I think it's it's also insightful in the fact that even when you think you've got something nailed, there's always more to learn. <laughs> right. But it's it's interesting because you also say that it's not one or the other. Yes. So, you know, the employee experience and the customer experience. And, um, you know, we're all so hyper-focused on customer experience that you know, it's almost like your your employees get the, the short end of the stick when it comes to the work environment. Um, but I, I think a lot of the, the tides have changed where, you know, obviously we're seeing that with leaders focusing on the personal attention and appreciation and, and the uplifting and growth and things like that of their employees. Um, how does that balance out between the two of those? And when does one override the other? Yeah, it's a great question because I didn't know what leaders would say when I started sharing the research. So it's sort of the end of 2021 um, when we started doing roundtables. I probably did close to 100 with eight to 10 executives of all size organizations around the globe. So small, medium, and large enterprise. And the roles that were on these roundtables were, you know, CEOs, COOs, chief human resource officers, chief marketing officers, chief revenue officers. I didn't have a whole lot of CFOs, a couple, but not many. I got these three questions or comments back. One, if it's so obvious, why isn't everyone doing it? Why is everybody over pivoted to customer, as you were just saying, right? And sort of forgetting about employee. And we were in the thick of the pandemic at this time where the conversation about employee now was far more in, in sort of the front of mind than it had been in a very long time. The Edelman Group, which does a study every year called the Trust Barometer, found that first time in a decade, employee overtook customer as the number one stakeholder to a company's long-term success. And that's because of everything that was going on in the pandemic. So if so obvious, why isn't everyone doing it? The second one was who owns it. And that really highlighted for me this battle of almost what you asked. Like, well, if I start to say which is first and which is second, it has implications on who's the executive, who owns it, budget, headcount, resources, you know, that silo mentality of I have to control it. Let me carve this out and make decisions around employee experience versus over there is customer experience. And that very activity is what I highlight in the book is what is holding companies back. So that mentality of let me approach this like it needs a new senior leader, right? It needs a new team. It needs a new PL. It needs new quota uh, and attainment and metrics and all those kinds of things. All true, but we can't approach it the same way. And then the third was what's the ROI? Like I understand better as a leader over the last 20 years, if I spend a dollar on customer, I see a return, right? I spend X, I get Y back. Could be in net promoter scores, reduced churn rates, um, you know, basket size increase, share of wallet increase, recency of purchase, all those terms we, you know, use around marketing and customer experience. 
Um, and they were the right questions. But when I started to press back and say, let me just highlight for you the research, the couple key points that we haven't been paying attention to employee. I saw them sort of tip their heads right and go light bulb moment of I've been trying to get people to embrace all this change I'm putting at them all in the name of the customer at the expense of all else and not preparing my employees to be successful. Wow. Hey, you, you mentioned research several times here. Uh, tell me about what what did the research look like and, and give me uh, let's start peeling the uh, yeah. onion here and digging into some examples. So we did three studies. The first one was US-based publicly traded companies. And there's a reason we did that. We went out and looked at all publicly available information. We did this with Forbes Insight. And so we could see growth rates from public, you know, public companies. We could see um, churn rates potentially. We could see um, uh, we could see net promoter scores, customer satisfaction scores. We could read Glassdoor ratings. We interviewed about 300 uh, executives so that we could get a little context around what we were seeing and finding in the research. And lo and behold, we found that companies that were hyper-focused on um, customer experience saw a lift in the KPIs or key performance indicators for employee experience. If they were very focused on employee, we also saw a lift in customer. And the difference between those two is like 1.3 times faster growth rates and sort of like 1.4 times faster growth rates. When brands were doing both right, right? So they were having high uh, net promoter scores and they had low attrition for employee, right? And they were able to fill roles and jobs um, more quickly. They saw a 1.8 times faster growth rate. So for a billion dollar brand, it was a $40 million impact. So wow. we couldn't prove causation, but that was, that was like a, okay, maybe we're on to something. Look, I'm not the first person to say happy employee, happy customer, get those two things right, have faster growth, right? Or better shareholder return. I am not the first to say it. However, we definitely are one of, if not the only, that has started to prove what aspects of employee experience has the greatest impact on the customer. And when those two things are right, you get greater growth rates. So this is not about compensation, DE&I, all extremely important. And the HR side of the business is very important, not what we covered in this research. Okay. Just to sort of give a massive caveat to that. So that was the first one. Then we got interested, right? Then we went and did the second one. And we found that in the second one, unfortunately, these kinds of stats started to show themselves. One, nobody owned EX. Two, leaders were saying, of course, I care about our people and those that work for me, and I understand their value, but it's customer above all else. And that manifests itself in a number of ways. Third, they were doing surveys out to employees and capturing that data and doing nothing with it. The majority of companies were doing nothing with that survey data about what employees needed from them. And seamless technology or outdated technology was the greatest gap between what the executives thought was happening in the company and what employees actually said was happening in a company. So I'll give you one stat on that. 52% of the C-suite globally blended, believed the tech that they were using was effective and efficient in you know, helping their uh, employees be productive. That means 48% of executives believed it wasn't, which is another conversation. 
32% of employees agreed with that statement. So you already have a 20 point Delta 52% for the C-suite, 32% for employees and wait for it. Customer facing employees, only 20% agreed with that statement, which means 80% of your customer facing employees, sales, field service, customer service, call centers, call center reps, right? Marketing, anybody customer facing, only 20% believe that the technology they were given and, you know, obviously able to use allowed them to collaborate more easily and be more productive. So those were sort of the big ones, right? And that last one we could talk about for hours, but, you know, ultimately those were sort of the big things. And when I started sharing that on those round tables, that's where you really saw executives perk up, right? Because wait a minute, do I not know what's going on in my own business, <laughs> right? Who do I ask to find out this information? And that's where the really amazing conversations began. Gotcha. And, and the technology you're talking about, is that the, the technology that allows the company to communicate with the customer? Or is it a delivery of an, a SaaS product? Or what, what tech specifically or yep. broadly are we talking about yep. here? So I'll give you another stat. The average, the enterprise has an average of a little more than a thousand unique applications in its four walls, right? Meaning okay. running the business. Some right, of those okay. applications may never get used by people, right? It might be finance or HR or supply chain, like for obvious reasons, right? It's just not appropriate for everyone to use it. But if right. you have more than a thousand applications, only 27% of them are actually integrated. Wow. Okay. Right. We would never ask our customers to have five tabs open on their desktop to do their job, to place an order, to get a ticket open. You wouldn't have a tab for find out about our product, a tab for order our product, a tab for enter your credit card information, a tab for enter your shipping information, a tab for tracking your shipment. We would never do that. Right. In 2000, we did it. We haven't done that for a really long time as things got integrated in the UI from an e-commerce standpoint, but that doesn't always mean it's integrated on the back end. meaning maybe gotcha. there's an employee on the back end getting that order and then manually entering it into the shipping data or manually entering it into the um, commerce, right, or payment engine. So the employees were stuck bearing the brunt of this lack of integration. I'm just using that as a quick answer, right? So it could be <coughs> collaboration tools, I'm collaborating on a project internally. I'm responding to a ticket or a customer service request from a customer. I'm following up on an email or a phone call, right? Anything where an employee then touches a customer. And it could even be the product design team because that product touches a customer, right? Or the FAQs or the how-to manual in the box touches a customer or the design of the box touches a customer, right? So it isn't just humans. It, it spans sort of any time a brand interacts with a customer in either, you know, an analog, right? A hard good or a digital engagement. So the seamless process flow between the two really elevates both of them. Is that kind of Absolutely. what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And that was the other one. So it was outdated tech. It was broken processes, um, lack of integration between tools, but there were others. And you mentioned it at the beginning, you know, it's investing in me and my career helping me reskill as more tools come my way. 
my, my team members are leaving too often and it's very disruptive to my productivity, right? It used to be my go-to person when I had a question or it was my manager and they were awesome, right? And they helped me be really successful or it was the person I always went to, you know, in the warehouse when I had a problem. Team members leaving, you know, leaves those that are left behind, if you will, struggling to fill that void. And so it isn't just about tech, it's people, process, technology and culture. Those are really the four areas I highlight in the book as opportunities for companies to get it right. So w when you look at those, when you look at the studies, you look at the businesses and then the, you know, the fragmentation that's occurred throughout those different uh, components, what was the low hanging fruit that you found for businesses to make improvements on this? And what such kind a great of question. outcomes? <laughs> Excuse me. Such a great question. So the third study we did was an isolated US-based retailer who had a thousand storefronts. So there's only a handful of brands that have a thousand or more storefronts. I don't know who it was, but we can, you know, it's going to be a Walmart, Target, Home Depot. I mean, you know, it's going to be only a right. handful of, of stores in the US that that could be. They isolated in there a combination of a number of things. Because it was retail, you have transactional employees that are part-time, you have full-time, you have tech, you have analog, right? You've got stores, like you've got shelving, right? Cleanliness of store. There's all kinds of things that are impacting, right? That um, engagement between a customer uh, and a brand and an employee. And when they started to dial in on employee across some of the things we just talked about, they saw a 50-0% improvement in revenue per head per hour for store wow. employee. It was massive. And so that third one was an academic study. We were able to prove causation. And I say that in air quotes, if you're listening to this, because if you're an academic, you would press me on causation, but we were able in that isolated causation, right? Direct correlation between the improvements on employee and what results were to revenue. They isolated. So it wasn't like during a holiday season or a back to school sale, or, you know what I mean? They tried to be as clean as they possibly could. Um, and so that really started to show that there are aspects of the, this that you can isolate from a low hanging fruit perspective. It might be something like, do you survey your employees? Did you just survey them? Did you look at the data? <laughs> Did you do anything with it? Right. It could be something that simple. It could be asking your employees one question per group, per team. What's one thing I could remove that would allow you to be more productive, more efficient? or reduce the amount of effort you have to put in to do your job. One thing, one thing, right? The one thing, which was obviously another great book. Um, so, you know, I, I would say, what is that one thing? And so if you can ask that one question by team, now you can start to remove those obstacles. I mean, that really is the role of the manager and a leader, right? We all say, I'm here to remove your obstacles and make it easier for you to do your job. Then yet the research said, well, you ask me, I answer, you don't do anything. Or right. don't ask me, you launch new products, you don't train me. Or wait, you, you know what I'm saying? Like we can just start to say, it, you're not actually doing what you say. You're saying these things that sounds really great. But trust me, your employees don't agree that you are doing what you say or what you think is actually happening. This is fascinating because when I took over as CEO of Remax, we got into doing some employee surveys. And what we did was we would scrape off the top piece of the of this per department and then we would 
in every and any meeting we had, we'd say, okay, here's what was going on. Here's what we're doing based upon the survey results. And here are the things that we've accomplished so that the employee knew that we were working on building a better experience for them and making the company better collectively. And it was fascinating because when we would do pulse surveys on the employees, again, you saw the the outcomes continue to go up and up and up. So um, having lived what you are talking about, 100% agree with it. Uh, it's it's fascinating. And you you kind of have to ask yourself in a business, a small business, large business, Tiffany, who owns the responsibility for this? And why do you think that person is important in this? Yeah. And going back to that, those roundtables, that was sort of the second question I'd get, right? Who owns it? Right? So I need everybody who's listening to have a little bit of a beginner's mind. Give me a little space to not you have the expert's mind of this is the way I always solve. Someone has to own it. It's a new group in the company, right? It allows me to fence off so for metrics and performance and all the things. So just hold that thought, Adam, for just a second, right? Right. I was having a conversation with Liz Wiseman, who wrote Multipliers and a number of other books. We're, we're both on the Thinkers 50 list. And I was running through the findings of the study. And I'm like, this is where I'm really getting stuck. Right. And I keep getting asked this, who owns it question. And you even said it, Adam, about five minutes ago, you said one will be first and one will be second. And they might switch. One would then become first. The other one becomes second, right? It's always this dance of what's first and what's second. And that's that expert's mind. Uh, Adam, you were super successful as a CEO. You've done all these things, right? And you approach it like, if we're going to do this, we need a team. We need a leader. We need KPIs. We need, right? And I said back to Liz, but it isn't that. I really need people to have this kind of experience mindset. And I went, stop, wait, stop. Talk, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. And I whip out a piece of paper and I write down the experience mindset. And I go, that's the name of the book. Because it is a mindset shift. Here's how I describe it. In the future, when you make a decision about customers, first or second or third or fourth on your list, but when you make a decision about customers, I want you to just take a beat and go, hold on a second. What is the impact to our employees? Does it increase their effort? Like I was describing, right? The five tabs, we would never do that to a customer. The customer gets one tab, but then when they hit order, all of a sudden this flurry of things hits the desk of the employee and they have to run around to make this all happen behind the scenes like the Wizard of Oz. That's more effort for the employee, right? Less for the customer, more for the employee. Better experience for the customer, worse experience for the employee. So take a pause and ask that question. When you make a change on the employee side, take a pause and ask the question, what's the intended or unintended consequence to the customer? That's why I say mindset, right? That's why I try to stretch it out of that siloed group who has responsibility and it's no one else's responsibility. Now, as a leader such as yourself, Adam, here's what I always get back. Well, if nobody owns it, nobody owns it, right? And if nobody owns it, nothing's getting done. And if nobody owns it, nothing's getting done. Why am I spending money here? So it isn't that you're not going to have an executive, right? Who may be tracking the KPIs and really spearheading the effort should sit at the C-suite. Honestly, it should be the CEO, but something like an employee advisory board, everything you do for customer, I want you to replicate for employee. 
customer advisory board and employee advisory board. Customer, you know, um, UI team and employee UI team. A, you know, a, the CIO or your IT leader is hyper focused on the tools and systems that a customer uses. Well, who's doing it on the employee side? And I don't mean like the HR application. I mean, those other thousand that aren't integrated that they need to do their job. You know, if I, if I were standing in, in a room and there was, you know, everyone who's listening and I asked this question, how many of you can do your job in one application all day? And then I'd say, <laughs> right, five to 10. 10 to 15, 15 or more, you'd be surprised at how many hands are in that sort of five to 15 range. And the brain, this is not my research, but the brain spends a number of seconds every time you switch applications. So it's not visually, it's, it's a pause, but your brain has to catch up. Oh, I'm no longer in Outlook. I'm in Salesforce. Oh, wait, I'm no longer in Salesforce. I'm in Slack. Oh, I'm no longer in Slack. I'm in Zoom. Whatever it is. Four hours a week. Wow. Is lost to switching in your brain. So if we can, and then multiply that out. And what's the number one thing? Like more productivity, more with less. Like I want my people to do more, 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 more. And then we're just, we're wasting this time. So you know, that is where um, I need everyone to sort of have that beginner's mind and not that expert's mind of approaching this the same way, which is why I called it um, the experience mindset. Awesome. Hopefully that answers less that is, question. <laughs> oh, totally did. I mean, less is more people. I mean, it's, we get more done with using less, but the right things. And it was, it's fascinating because the applications you listed off, those were all the applications that we had in the business. And you'd hear people, oh, I have to log into more things. And then the IT comes down. We have single sign-on. I'm like, it's still yeah. different applications. You're still task switching in the in the middle of this process. Yeah. And look, it's and not lost on me. I work at Salesforce. I get it. You know, a lot of you listening may use our technology. We've got marketing cloud and service cloud and sales cloud and Slack and Quip and Commerce Cloud. And we've got a we've got MuleSoft and we've got Tableau and we've got just us alone. You know, I, I understand. And so this is why it isn't that it necessarily has to be one brand, right? Because even just using us doesn't solve this issue if the data is in something else or even the integration between our tools based on how, in fact, you're, you, and you are using them. So, you know, vendors, i.e. someone like us, right? We have work to do as well to help. But this is also an opportunity for process improvement and IT to really understand what is the day-to-day -day for an employee in the various roles in the company in using the tools you've deployed, training, integration, right. um, outdated processes, et cetera. Yeah. And I, I think it's important that everybody understands that this is not a, how do we use different applications podcast um you know what we're talking about here more than anything is the culture of the business and the desire for people to enjoy what they're doing so that they're more relaxed and more productive in doing so and that that culture translates across the board to the customer so you know employees with a great culture will attract customers with a great culture and i that overall is you know, really the magic behind what Tiffany's talking about here, the, the employee culture is the magic wand to give the customer that great experience. 
And, you know, if, if it's a culture of fear, if it's a culture of overwhelm, if it's a, cu a culture of just, you know, trying to put your finger on the leaks in the dam as they're, you know, leaking water out, then then that's what the customer gets. So, um, you know, ultimately, she's talking about, a, you know, a win-win here for everybody in the cultural aspects of the business and leaders. I want to I want to highlight something you said, Tiffany. You you talked about you know people going well, who, you know I asked you the question who owns this and and it's like a hot potato as soon as you ask who owns this in a meeting amongst all the executives in a company and everybody's like not me everybody rolls away from the desk and puts their hands up and they're like I'm busy so what it comes down to is everybody owns it the entire company owns it but nobody owns it if the CEO the CFO the COO the you know head of this and the head of that aren't talking about it with the employees of it takes all of us together to own this culture let's all talk about it be vulnerable be really execution oriented and aggressive about making it happen but also you know you got to be transparent you got to eliminate the silos you got to understand you know you're going to have things you're doing right and things you're doing wrong let's get rid of the things we're doing wrong nobody's judging so that we can all be the best. So this is, I mean, this is like a little mini masterclass you just gave me here on how to be a great leader. So thank you. Um, what Any closing thoughts on the experience mindset that our listeners should take away with and go work with right now? I would say this, if you're listening to this and you're not sitting at the quote unquote C-suite, but you might be a level below, or you're a middle manager, or you're a first-time manager, or you're an individual contributor who wants to be a leader. Everybody can benefit from having this mindset, where as an individual contributor, you can raise your hand and say, these processes are broken, and it takes me an extra 20 minutes a day, or an hour a day, or two hours a day. I tracked it through the week, that if we could fix this, and you multiplied it by the team of eight people, we could give back two hours of work and go to your manager. If you're a first time manager, ask your people that question and then go to your manager and be like, I could free up, you know, eight hours collectively across my team a week and then move up the organization. If you are a C-suite and you're listening to this and you have the ability to action this across the organization, I'd start with some of the things that Adam and I were talking about. Go look at your last HR employee survey. I'm sure you're looking at the customer surveys. I'm sure you're reading the NPS scores. I'm sure you're, you know, looking at all that pulse surveys in the customer. What are you doing for employee? Um, and start to give yourself time during the day to understand the realities of your people. It is impossible. Awesome. They are the keepers of the promise you give to the street, to the board, to your customers, to your communities, to your vendors, to your partners. It is them. It isn't you. And it isn't the PowerPoint and it isn't the vision and value statements, right? They are the ones that bring your goals and your strategy to life. And you've got to pay attention to them. Otherwise, the great resignation and quiet quitting will continue to be a challenge for you. The talent crisis will continue to be a, a challenge for you. And the fact that you have low engagement in your employee base will continue to be a challenge for you. All of which are very expensive um, uh, issues to overcome. But you can start with some of the very basic things that I outlined in the book and we talked about. And uh, I promise you, um, your employees will thank you for it. Awesome. Some gold in there, folks. I love the keepers of the promise. 
employees are the keepers of the promise. They're the ones who keep your brand promise and establish your brand promise. So keep that in mind. Tiffany Bova, this has been a great interview on Start With a Win. I appreciate so much. Encourage everybody to go out and get Tiffany's new book. I mean, this is the experience mindset, changing the way you think about growth. Why wouldn't you want to read that for crying out loud? It's it's an amazing piece of business culture and business improvement ideas. So uh, take a look at that. Tiffany, I have a question I ask all of our great guests on Start With a Win and get some incredible answers here. I look forward to hearing yours. How do you start your day with a win? Um, I start my day with uh, quiet, actually. That's how I start my day with a win. If I start my day with too much noise and chaos, like my phone or the television or news on the radio or whatever, um, it doesn't allow me to sort of lean into, uh, you know, the day. Uh, but that's me. You know, I, I am going a million miles a minute as soon as that, my feet hit the ground. So that is actually difficult for me to take a pause in the morning like that. But I, I try to take 10 to 15 minutes where I'm just sort of in my mind, sorting the day. What do I need to do? What's my goals for the day? What are things I want to accomplish? And then even like, who do I want to reach out to from my friend group, right? And family. And like, I just try to calmly walk into the chaos that will become my day in about, you know, an hour. <laughs> awesome. I love it. You can check out Tiffany at tiffanybova.com. That's T-I-F-F-A-N-I-B-O-V-A.com. She's on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn also. So make sure you go out and like her. She puts out a lot of great content that'll help you go out and educate your employees or your peers or your boss, for that matter, on how to make these things happen. I appreciate the time today, Tiffany, and thanks for joining us on Start With a Win. Thank you, Adam, for having me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Start With a Win. Be sure to like and subscribe to this episode and share it with your friends. Also, be sure to check out Adam on YouTube at Adam Canto CEO, as well as on all the social media platforms. And don't forget, start with a win.